and we'll we'll finish the sermon I started last week, and then we'll we'll finish the the series, if you will, next week from John chapter four and Jesus' encounter with the the woman at the well. And as we look at this text, uh, we we begin to see who Jesus is, and we see the heart of Jesus. In fact, that's really what the the title is of of these all these sermons uh, is that we need to follow the heart of Jesus. We started last week. Uh, this idea, this this concept, and we'll finish it today, that Jesus was relevant. We, we saw a couple weeks ago that he was relational, that he began to build a relationship with this lady, and we started looking last week that he was relevant. What Jesus had to offer her, relevant for her life. Uh, Jesus spoke to a need. So so we looked last week at the start of the text, and uh, or the start of the sermon, from that text that, that Jesus didn't condone. He he didn't, in the text, come out and say, okay, whatever you want to do, that's fine. Um, in fact, we see that Jesus noticed a pattern in her life. And, and the pattern wasn't so much, the, the, pattern wasn't so much the, the particular sin that she had. We, we saw that. We know that Jesus pointed that out. But, but that really wasn't the pattern. The pattern was that she was trying to find an answer to the pain and the hurt in her life. She was, she, she was looking for something to satisfy her. And, and she chose a, a certain way. We, we all choose ways to, to try to find out that meaning in life. She chose a, a particular way that, that had led her down the wrong path. But, but Jesus saw the pattern. And so the pattern wasn't really her specific sin. It was the fact that she was trying to find it the wrong way. Uh, and, and every one of us, fill in the blank, every one of us has that in our own life a, as well. So Jesus saw her pattern and and, and as we looked at that text, we saw that Jesus noticed that she pivoted. When, when Jesus pointed out her sin and, and kind of made that public, made, uh, made her aware that he knew what was going on in her life, that he knew the specifics of her life, she changed the subject. She pivoted away from what he was talking about. Uh, and then what she saw from that, and that's kind of, kind of the cool thing, is she saw him point not back to her sin. He didn't, he didn't take her back to that and say, no, hang on a second, let's... Let's go back and talk about that more. Instead, he pointed to himself. He pointed to what he had to offer her. Spirit and truth is what he talked about in that text. So if you have your Bibles here this morning, I'd encourage you to to turn to John chapter 4. John chapter 4. And let's look at at some of the the verses here this morning. I'm going to start with verse 19 um, and and read on from there. Verse 19, sir, and this is is when she... uh, this is when she pivoted. This is when she kind of changed the subject. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus declared, believe me, woman, a time is coming when we will worship the Father in, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You said, Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and, and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and truth. The woman said, I know that the Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, I who speak to you am he. Jesus had offered her living water, and, and now he was giving it to her. Jesus faced a choice here. Uh, 
He had intimate knowledge of who this woman was. He, he knew exactly what her past was. He knew what the specific sin in her life was, just as he does in ours. He, he, he knew her failures, and, and he acknowledged that to her. Uh, and now she changes the subject. What, what should he do? Should, should he have demanded that she, if she wanted this living water, which we talked last week that she definitely did, should he have said, okay, you need to change your life, you need to, to clean up your act, you need to figure out all the stuff that you've been doing wrong and just get rid of all of that right now before you can have this, this, this living water. Now, now, church, don't miss the point. We looked at it last week, that first point, that Jesus doesn't condone her sin. He, he doesn't say, hey, just keep on doing what you're doing, it's fine, just, just be sure to do some religious stuff that I'm going to tell you about. No, he doesn't say that. See, Jesus wanted her heart. He, he wanted to address the situation that was in her heart, the, the core of the problem. And that's why he said, hey, hey, when we see God, we speak him in spirit and truth. So, so please don't miss, Jesus didn't condone her sin. But don't miss this either. He doesn't condemn her. He didn't condemn her here. Church, we need to, we need to learn a, a lesson here. Far too often, far too often as, as believers, far too often as the church, I, I think we're getting better at it. I think we're, I think we're being a little bit more aware of this and, and working hard. And, and, and I don't, I honestly don't think it's necessarily a problem we have here in our church that much, but, but, but church wide, uh, worldwide, we, we tend to have a problem with having our default response to sin, our, our default response to someone that has sin in their life, or, or let me just kind of put it this way, someone that's not like us, someone that's not a believer. Now, I'm not suggesting we don't have sin because we do, but someone that doesn't believe like us, our default response to them is that we condemn. Now, I don't know that we, we do that purposely. I don't know that we do that uh, very directly, but but our response is to have an attitude of condemnation. Several years ago, we uh, uh, at Rushville had a uh, uh, had a program kind of like Kicks. Uh, it was called Adventure Club, and 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 one Sunday we were going to have a special a special time where the Adventure Club kids were going to sing, and so we invited uh, them to come and their parents to come. And one of our helpers saw the mother of one of the kindergarten kids that that, that attended our Adventure Club. They didn't go to church and. And as far as we knew, which I think we were accurate, that she didn't go to church anywhere. So one of our helpers saw this lady at the school one day and said, Hey, we're, the, the Venture Club kids are singing Sunday. Um, are, are you going to come? Are you going to come to church Sunday? Her response floored our, our helper. And when she relayed the story back to me, floored me as well. The, the lady said to her, Well, why would I want to go to church? Why would I want to go to church? All they do is yell at you. Do we uh, do we give off that impression? Now I, I I I hope that we don't, but but do we sometimes with our attitudes and with our talk and our perception and, and, and the way we are perceived, do we do we give the impression that we condemn? And and I'm wondering if 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 sometimes we don't do that because we struggle with feeling that way ourselves, Church, join me here for just a second, and this may not hit, hit very many of you, but, but I wonder if some of us don't come to church, and we come to church and we know we have sin in our life, 
And I'm wondering if we, if we don't come with the preconceived idea, which is wrong, but the pre, a preconceived idea of who God is and how God sees us and a preconceived idea of, of who Jesus is and how, and how Jesus sees us. And that, that idea is that automatically, even though we're believers and we come to church, that God is somehow condemning us. And I wonder, I wonder if we don't come here feeling that way ourselves. So how would we not give that impression to other people? Let me, uh, let me illustrate. A, last summer, my brother told me this story about his grandson, uh, Declan. So it would be my niece's son. Uh, he said, and Declan's, I think, about four, four or five years old. He said, Declan had signed up to play t-ball. And, and so they, uh, they, they went to a practice. Melanie, my niece, took him to a practice. And, and so she's in the stands with the other mothers watching the practice. And, and, and they were going along. Practice was about over. And the coach named about four or five kids and sent them out to right field. Now, I don't know if that tells you a little bit about my, you know, my, my niece's son's ability, but maybe that's just where she needed to go. But sent, sent about four or five of them out to right field. The, re- the rest of them were all around shortstop, and there's another group around second base. And, and one of the coaches was hitting fly balls out to right field. Now, now he had no intent that they were, or, or expectation that they would catch him, but he just wanted to hit him just to get the understanding, hey, the ball's going to come out there possibly in T-ball and get it and throw it back in. So, so you, if you've ever coached or had your kids, you kind of understand the concept. So he's hitting fly balls out there. And, and so the time for practice to, to end was, was about there. And so the head coach hollered, said, okay, everyone, come on in. And so he had them gather around the pitcher's mound. And, and my niece, who, who relayed this to my brother, said all the kids turned and ran to the pitcher's mound except her son Declan. He said Declan was standing out in right field. And, and about this time, he had turned his back to the field and was kind of watching a bird or something out there. And, and so the coach, coach hollered again, Declan, come on in. And no response. Declan, come on in. And, and he had to holler about four or five times before Declan finally turned around and, you know, and, and ran in. And so, so when practice was over, they were walking back to the car, and Melanie uh, looked over at Declan and said, Declan, why, uh, why did it take you so long to run back in? The coach was hollering at you. Why, did, why, why were you the only one out there? And he said, well, Mom, I thought I was in timeout. <laughs> Which right field kind of is like timeout uh, in baseball. But, uh, but, but I wonder if we don't, I wonder if sometimes we don't come to church in our, in our default. Uh, we don't talk about it. I don't know if anyone's ever told me this. I wonder if we don't sometimes come and feel like hey, we're in timeout because God sees me and I know who I am and I know the sin in my life and I know where I've let him down and I wonder if we don't sometimes come and think that that God is putting us in timeout. Um, Jesus could have responded here. Lady had pointed out her sin. She pivoted away, changed the subject. The easiest thing for Jesus to have done here would have been to condemn her. To say, hey, no, 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 let's talk about this stuff in your past. Uh, the easiest thing for us, and, and so whether you ever feel like you're in timeout or whether you feel emboldened to put other people in timeout, uh, the easiest thing for us to do is, is to condemn people. It's not hard to see the wrong in other people. Now, partly, if we're honest, we can see the wrong in them because we, we know the wrong in ourselves. It's not hard for us to see the failures in other people. It's not hard for us to see the, the, the needed change in other people. But catch this, that's not what Jesus saw 
when he saw this lady. He, he didn't see a lady that needed to be condemned. In, instead, you know what he saw? He saw her pain. Jesus saw the pain in her heart. It's, it's been uh, probably two or three years ago, for, obviously, before we came here. I, uh, I, I filled in one Sunday up at Barnard, Missouri, for a guy named Pat Sampson. Pat preaches up there. And, and, and so Reed and I were driving to the church, and, and we turned off 71 Highway onto, I think it's M Highway, and the three miles on into uh, to Barnard, Missouri. And, and uh, that Sunday morning as we drove, I looked over in the yard of a tree, that, or in the yard of a, a, a house, off to the right-hand side, and there was this big, beautiful tree. I'd noticed it before when, when I'd been up there and I'd filled in for patication. I'd noticed it was, it was a big, old, beautiful, I think it was a maple tree, big, old, majestic-looking tree. And that Sunday morning as we drove by, that tree was laid over on its side and flat in the, the ground. Now, it still had the leaves. If, if you could have imagined it upright, you would have thought, wow, that's still a beautiful, majestic tree, but... But what had happened the night before when a storm came through had blown that tree over and exposed the reality, the truth. Now, now I assume the homeowner probably already knew this, but, but from the road you couldn't see that. But it exposed the reality. The inside of that tree, the trunk of that tree was rotten. It, it, th- there really wasn't even much there. And you could see that uh, with, with the stump left there that it was all rotted out and nothing there. Often, often we go through life. And, and we, 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 we give the appearance of and we want to project the idea that we have it all together. Or, or we see other people and we certainly think, well, they've got it all together. I, I don't think social media does us any favors when it comes to this because on social media, everyone's got it together. They love their jobs. Their, their kids are perfect. Everything is going well. I mean, they smile all the day through when you look at the pictures on, on Facebook and, and social media. And so sometimes we we look like we are majestic and we've got it all together. And yet on the inside, we know the truth. On the inside, we're aware that, that that's not the case. If there's one thing you take home today, I hope there's a couple things, but if there's one thing you take home today, please note this, that Jesus sees your pain. It's what he did in this story. He wasn't con- concerned about condemning this lady. He saw her pain and wanted to deal with it. See, we might pretend like we've got it all together. But we're just waiting for a good gust of wind to blow us over and expose the truth. Now, I, I can say that because that's true of me. See, some days I feel like I, I feel like what I project is I've got it all together. Man, I, man everything is right with the world, man, I'm, hey, look at me and trust in me, and, and, and yet other times I, you know, I, I have doubts, and other times I have insecurities, and other times I have, have sin, and other times I, I, my faith struggles, and, and, and so there's sometimes I come before the Lord, and I feel like, man, I am hollow on the inside, and please note that Jesus sees that, and he knows that. In the story, Jesus wasn't quick to condemn her uh, because he saw he saw what was going on. He saw her heart, and he saw her pain. Um, as way of application, then we must see other people that way. See, see, we, we're to we're to follow the heart of Jesus. So, so know for yourself here this morning that Jesus knows who you are. 
And he's comfortable with that. We talked about that last week, that Jesus is comfortable with sinners. Um, he doesn't want us to stay there, but he is comfortable with us. Uh, Jesus sees us how we are, and he knows our pain, but, but we need to do that with other people as well. So when, when the woman at the well comes into our church, or when we sit down at the well with that person, with that one that's struggling, guy, lady, kid, whatever it is, that we see past their, their sin, we see past their past, uh, and we see them like Jesus did. Sometimes we struggle to get past a person's past. Look, look with me there in John chapter 4. Uh, look, look down at verse 27. We talked just a little bit about this last week. Um, but Jesus was talking to this lady. We, we have all that happen. And then verse 27, just then his disciples returned. We know from, from week one that he had sent them all into Sychar to buy food. Um, interesting that he sent them all, and not just a couple of them, but he sent them all in there really so he could have this conversation with the ladies. Uh, then his disciples returned and, and were surprised to find him talking with the woman. But no one asked. They wanted to. It's what they were thinking. They may have murmured it back and forth to each other. Uh, what, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Uh, the disciples were struggling with this situation. If, if you go by, I'm not going to read it, but if you go back to the chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, it tells us that Jesus was baptizing more disciples than John was. In fact, then it goes on and says, well, it wasn't Jesus. It was his disciples were baptizing the, the people. So, so his disciples had already started doing the work of evangelism. His, his disciples had already started leading t- people to Jesus, had already started offering living water to people. So, so they were already seeing the fruit of, uh, of, of talking about who Jesus was. But when they came around the corner and they saw Jesus talking to this lady, they struggled. Why? Well, maybe, talked about this two weeks, maybe it's because she was a Samaritan. You know, they weren't supposed, shouldn't have been in Samaria, shouldn't have been talking to a Samaritan woman, shouldn't have, you know, maybe it's just because she was Samaritan. Maybe, maybe since it was noon and she was there, they, they put it together, hey, she's there because she's got a past and no one wants to be around. Maybe she was dressed a certain way, maybe, maybe there's something different about her, just, she, she, put off the, the, the vibe that there was, there was some sin. I don't know what it was. The truth was they should have seen Jesus talking to her, stopped and thought, man, we need to pray for Jesus. Here, here's an opportunity uh, to, to touch her, an opportunity for Jesus to touch. The, they should have stopped and said, guys, let's pray for him right now. Instead, they're like, why is he talking to her? Why is he talking to her? See, sometimes we, we, we misread the situation and we misunderstand what the heart of Jesus was. See, church, when, when we come in contact with a sinner, again, hey, we all are, but we come in contact with someone with a past, whatever that might be, what's our attitude? Do we see it as an opportunity to, to break through in the pain in their life? Um, when, when I was uh, a junior a junior in high school. My brother, who was two and a half years older, was out of, uh, out of school working. I think he was engaged to be married a, a few months later. Um, and, and growing up, there were six of us kids. I've talked about that. And, and, and we had uh, a four-bedroom house. So mom and dad got a room. 
and, and then we paired off. My brother and I had a room, my two middle sisters, and, uh, and, and my two older sisters. So, so when my oldest sister, Beck, do you remember? I've talked about Beck. Do you remember which one she is? Anyone? Well, I know you know. I'm seeing if they know. Anyone remember? I've, it's okay to talk about my sister, okay? She's the mean one. My oldest sister, Beck, was the mean sister. So when she left, it was only natural that Deb, my, my next oldest sister, got the room to herself. So we're sitting there like, wow, I can't, I, I'm, I'm plotting. Okay, Rick's the nest oldest, so when Deb goes to college, which is like just a year later, Rick gets the room, which means I get a room to myself. So Deb went to college, and you know what happened? Cindy got that room. That was not fair, not at all. She wasn't the oldest, but, but my sister Cindy and Minnie then had rooms in themselves, and Rick and I still had a room to ourselves. So my brother is, is 20 years old, working, engaged, and still sleeping in a in a, a double bed with his brother. Poor, poor guy. That's why he got married, I think, when he was so young, because i got to get out of this house. But, but my sister Cindy was uh, a senior in high school, and we were to go, our family was to go to Joplin to see my sister Deb over Christmas. And, and, and I was going, and uh, uh, Rick was going, and my, my sister, twin sister Minnie were going. But for some reason, Cindy wasn't going. Something, she was working or something came up. Well, what we found out later, the real reason was, her and her boyfriend had plotted when we were in Joplin, they were going to elope. They went to a, a local pastor and said, hey, will you marry us? Now, I don't know if this breaks a rule or not of confidentiality, but that pastor went to my mom and dad and said, hey, I think you might want to know. <laughs> when you guys are gone, they've asked us. So, so, so we came home from school one day, and mom's upset, and Cindy had already left to go on a date with her her. Uh, I guess fiance. We didn't know that at the time, but uh, uh, John get the right one. John and, uh, uh, and 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 so mom's upset, and she ends up telling us, "Hey, what's going on? Hey, Cindy, they're planning on it open." So, so so later that night, my brother and I are in, in the room, and we hear John's car pull up. He's got a loud car, not louder in yours case. We, we hear it pull up. And we thought, "Oh, this is gonna be good." And we hear the door close, and then we hear muffled voices. You know, mom and dad hollering, and then them hollering. So you know, Rick and I immediately uh, we got on our knees. And crawled out to the, uh, <laughs> I'm not lying, <laughs> Craw- crawled out so we could hear better. Because you just couldn't hear through the, and and, uh, <laughs> and and I remember one of the phrases I, I'll never forget. I, I remember my dad saying, you know, well, John, what if your car breaks down? How are you going to support my daughter? And yeah, I'll walk to work if I have to. And, you know, it, it was like 20 miles away. Yeah, you're going to walk to work, John. And it, so we're laughing. And, and, and as it's kind of going back and forth, my brother and I are sitting there, we're like, let them get married. Let them get married. We get a room to ourselves. <laughs> now, now the end of the story was they let them get married, and I got my room to myself. Yay! But, but, but I look back. I, I didn't see it that way for years and years. But I look back later and thought well, maybe I should have been thinking differently. <sighs> you know, Cindy should have moved in with Mindy and still got my no. Uh, Maybe I should have realized that mom and dad knew what they were talking about. We have a few high school age kids here today. Let me just throw this out. Mom and dad usually know what they're talking about. When it comes to that, mom and dad know what they're talking about. And they did in this case. Two year, or Three or four years later, two kids later, John left her. Not just her, but left her kids. Hasn't been in her kid's life in years. In fact, signed over parental rights. Signed parental rights away. Basically saying, you're not my kids anymore. Just they knew what they were talking about. We, 
But look at that. You know what I was thinking about? I was thinking about myself. We were thinking about ourselves. We should have been thinking, hey, you know what? Mom's in pain. We should have been thinking, man, Dad's struggling here. And we should have been really thinking, man, Cindy's got something going on here that she really needs to deal with, but we didn't do it. Jesus, this is what comes out of this text. Jesus sees her pain. And I realize I need to hurry along here. <laughs> uh, Jesus saw her pain. He saw, also saw the price. He, he, he saw the price that she was paying. Uh, the, the hurt in her life was leading her to make decisions that were bad. And can't we say that, man? I, man, I, I, I look at the pain in my life that led me to places that, that, that I had to pay a price for. And you could tell similar stories. Uh, he saw that it, was, that it came with a price. And, and then he also saw, Christ saw that it came with a price and it was his price. He, he saw her pain and realized, you know what, I can do something about it because or I am going to do something about it because I'm going to the cross. And ultimately what I do on the cross says to this lady who's struggling, says to me when I struggle, says to you when you feel lost in your sin, when you feel hopeless, it says you have an offer of living water. And he saw, he saw the potential. We, we see later on in that text, I won't take the time here to, to read it, but we see later on in the story towards the end of that section that she went on back into town and, and told people and, 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 and people came and, and many, they stayed two days and many end up believing because she shared her story. He, he saw potential. Sometimes we, we're so short-sighted with ourselves and with others. And, and, and we, we don't have the faith that God can take us. Nick, our class for the last several weeks, isn't that what it really kind of we've been talking about? He can take us and he can take others and make them into something. My, my son Brian told this story to us last weekend when we were down in Tulsa um, for a couple of days. Uh, Said so they, they had a, a Wednesday night program at their church. Uh, he's on staff at a church in Tulsa or Broken Arrow, Oklahoma, and, and said so they, they had a, a, a kind of a special family night on a Wednesday night, and, and right in the middle of the service, there's a, a, a couple comes walking in, a guy and that looked kind of pretty scruffy, tattooed, and, and uh, uh, you know, jeans and T-shirt, kind of a dirty T-shirt at that, and, and, and a lady with him later on found out was his his girlfriend, and they come in and kind of just wandered into church, and, uh, and one of the guys on staff, the children's minister, a guy named Michael, kind of, kind of pulled him over, and they, they divided up into several groups, and so he pulled, pulled, pulled him over, and the guy's name was Tyler, and said, hey, you know, join our group, and, and, and as they had discussion that night, kind of at the end of the discussion, uh, he, he, he asked, Michael asked Tyler, so well, what do you think? What do you think about what we've been talking about? And he said, man, I, I need Jesus. Jesus, and, and they baptized Tyler that night uh, uh, there at the service. Uh, he got talked to him later, and he said the, the next day he had a court date. Uh, he, he had issues with drugs, and it got caught, and, and uh, had a court date the next day. In fact, he told, he told Michael, said, you know, there's a real good chance, uh, you know, after the court date, I'm going to jail. And uh, so Michael said, you know what, I'll show up and be there with you. So Michael showed up, and he said, you know what, I, I took a shirt with me, a nice dress shirt, because I thought, this guy, Tyler, didn't own a dress shirt. So he said, I, I walked in and I had a dress shirt, but when I saw him, he had on this nice white shirt. Well, well, I guess at Brian's church, when they baptize someone, they give him a white shirt to get baptized in, uh, and then they let him keep it. And said he, was, he had this white button-up dress shirt that they'd given him 
So he said, well, I don't have to give him my shirt, and, which he thought, well, that's kind of cool, isn't it, that he's wearing his baptismal shirt? So he sat there, and, and, and he was surprised that when, the, when the, the, the event was over that he didn't get jail time. He, he got off on parole. And he was excited. Next Sunday, he came to church, and, and after church, Michael hooked up with him and took him out to lunch, and he said, said I sat down with he and his, his girlfriend, and I said, well, what did you think about church? And, and, and Michael's girlfriend said, oh, it was great. We loved it. And, and, and I don't know if they... If they were hesitant or something didn't seem right, he said, no, really, what do you think? He, he kind of sheepishly bowed his head and he said, well, it was kind of boring. <laughs> uh, and so Michael said, you know, hey, hey, tell you what, next week you come with me. And so the next week he, he said, Michael, you're going to stay by, you're stay on my hip, you're going to be by my side. So, so he went into the children's ministry. Michael has a bunch of duties on Sunday morning and, and, and he said he kind of just hooked him up with, with him and just just so he could serve a little, maybe get it feeling good about that. Well, in, in, in the process, we do the same thing. If you're going to help out with ministry like that, you have to, to get a background check. And so he told him, he said, Tyler, I'm going to need your information. I get a background check. And when he did, he said, okay, it's not going to come back good. And sure enough, he had been arrested several times, drug offenses. He knew that because he'd been to court with him, all this other stuff. And he said, it's not going to be good. Uh, the, the next week, Michael got a phone call from a guy in the church. Um, the guy said, uh, hey, Michael, I need to talk to you. So I set up a meeting. Well, the, the guy that called him was the guy, he's from the church, but his company's the one that does the background checks. So when the background checks come, they come to that guy. It's no big deal. And, and, and he said, I need to talk to you. And, and, and of course, Michael, I know what he's going to talk about. He said, I, you know, I was expecting that. So, so when he meets the guy, he says, hey, this background check didn't come out so good. And if he's going to be in children's church, we're going to pull our kids out of children's church. And I, I look at this story, and I think of this story. And I think, who's Jesus in this story? Well, Jesus is Michael, who took a guy who had a past, who took a guy that failed a background check or, or the yellow lights were flashing on the background check and said, you know what, I think you can be more than what you think you can be. Stick by my side and I'm going to help you. And another guy, and maybe I can understand he's, you know, he's a parent. I, I mean, I can understand that a little bit. But the other guy says, man, I, I see your sin and I don't want you anywhere near. I don't want you anywhere near. Jesus, uh, Jesus saw saw who she was and and welcomed her. Um, there, there's a note in your your bulletin. Uh, I didn't come up. I wish I could say this was mine, but I had a friend tell me this, and he heard it from someone else. But but it's a quote, and and fill that in and, and keep that. Write that down somewhere. This this is too cool. Uh, this is what the quote says. He says Satan knows your name. Satan knows who we are. He knows our name, but he calls you by your sin. Satan knows your name, but he calls you by your sin. Jesus knows your sin, but calls you by your name. Isn't that cool? Finally, let me, let me finish this. He, he connected with her. He connected by, by acknowledging her, by, by sitting down at the well, and simply saying, hey, can I have a drink of water? Making that relationship, that connection with the relationship. Rusty George in his book, Hurting Cats, says, 
people who are coming to our churches need to see that Jesus doesn't compare about our sin as much as he cares about our soul. Jesus did not condemn the Samaritan woman at the well. He embraced her. It was after he had developed a relationship with her that Christ was able to, uh, to let her see her spiritual poverty. Jesus, Jesus didn't condone, condone her sin. He, he didn't, like, like we sometimes find in the world today, say, no, just, just be happy with yourself and do what you want to do and, and stay right where you are. Just make sure you do the religious stuff. He didn't do that. He, he wanted her to walk away from that sin. He wanted her to have wholeness. He wanted her to not thirst again, which was the reason she was sinning in the first place. But he didn't condemn. He saw who she was. He saw the pain in her heart and the pain in her life and saw that it came with a price and saw that she could become something and he connected with her. Let me close Let me close with this. Max Lucado tells this story. He said a grandpa walked into the living room and his, his son, uh, grandson Jeffrey was sitting in the, the playpen and he was, he was crying. And, and so when he walked in to the room, little Jeffrey saw grandpa and and when he did, his eyes lit up, and, and he reached out his arms and, you know, and said, Papa, Papa, and, and what, what grandpa wouldn't, wouldn't have their heart melt? And so, so his did, and so he walked over, and he said, said, I was just reaching down to pick little Jeffrey up out of the playpen and soothe his tears, wipe his tears from his eyes, when he said, uh, as Lucado puts it, law and order stepped in the room. He said his daughter, the, the mother of the child, stepped in from the kitchen with a dip, dish towel, uh, in her hand and said, Jeffrey, no, you're being punished. You stay in that playpen. And then she looked at Dad and she said, Dad, leave him there. And Lucado says this, Grandpa was conflicted. I mean, he really wanted to pick the kid up and like, you know, but, but he knew he couldn't do that. But he said, what do I do? I can't stay in the room. Man, this, my, my grandson crying and saying, Papa, Papa, you know, I, said, I couldn't stay in the room. And said, I couldn't leave the room because how would that look? I, he's calling for me and I just walk out of the room. So he said, uh, Lucado puts it this way, love found a way. And he said, Grandpa climbed into the playpen with the little boy. He said, this jolly grandpa filled his prison cell and the little boy found comfort even in, in, his, even in his captivity. Jesus Jesus saw this woman whose life was conflicted, whose life was struggling, who had made some life choices that were bad, that, that had hurt and pain in her life. Not so much different than any one of us. He saw her, and he didn't condemn. Instead, he offered her living water. Would you bow with me? Father, Father, give us two things here today. Help us. Realize that you see us that way. Because sometimes we come here with our Bibles in hand and our cross necklaces on and our smiles and our Bible answers and inside we're still struggling. And inside we're feeling condemned. And inside we're feeling like you're not happy with us. Father, help us learn from this passage that while you don't condone poor choices. Father, you don't condemn us either. You just want to love us. You want to lead us from, from that life of sin. You want us to lead us to living water that takes away the pain. Father, help us see ourselves that way. And Father, more importantly, as a church, 
as we reach out into our world and our community. Father, help us see others that way. Help us see them through your eyes and, and see the pain. See the price that's been paid by them and the price that you've paid. And that there's potential there for them to know you and to find hope. Father, we thank you. We thank you for this story. Help us follow your heart in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're here this morning and you have a decision you need to share, maybe you're here and you just need someone to, to lay their hands on you and pray with you or encourage you, I would invite you to come as we stand. Thank you.